Good morning, church. How is everybody this morning? It's good to be here. I really do appreciate you giving me this opportunity to speak to you on Sunday mornings. This is my last week up here, and Pat will be back next week. You'll get a real professional speaker up here uh, to get your message. But like I said, I really do appreciate you giving me this time uh, to share this with you. Now, I know that the uh, name of the series is, uh, it's not business, it's personal. And it's taken from a line in The Godfather. And I just find it interesting as, as I was going through this, I'm only yet this morning finding those parallels between that name and my sermon today. And so I'll be sharing that with you later. But um, this has definitely been uh, an experience that I've learned things along the way. And uh, I just wanted to share some appreciation with you letting me speak to you today. So let's go into the last four weeks. Quick summary. The first week we talked about Jacob and Jacob wrestled with God and his own identity. And, and that's good news to us because he, uh, he is one of those patriarchs. He's one of those people. And so it's okay to struggle. In fact, we know it's what God has intended. His chosen people's name is wrestles with God. Judah. Judah repented from selling his brother into slavery and preventing his daughter-in-law from healing and also his father from healing from the loss of his son. At least he thought he lost his son forever. And so Judah is this amazing story about somebody that was going in one direction and turned around. He repented. He changed. He became a person uh, that was worthy of the honor of being the person named after for Judaism, right? The Jewish nation themselves, that religion is named after Judah. Then we talked about Abraham and his partnership, and we talked about the blood path covenant that he did and why Abraham was chosen for that because he was not so into, you know, raising himself up, his own name. He was willing to marry the barren woman. He was willing to speak with God and, and find out these different things and, and take on his nephew. And so he's just a, a person that was worth creating this covenant relationship, right? We talked about covenant. And we talked about how Jesus' new covenant with us expanded from Abraham and with all of us. And then last week we talked about Jesus and how Jesus had to fight he had to fight everything that was in him in flesh and blood on this planet with us the same way we did. And he had to fight through his temptations and his time in the garden where he was in like this panic state with his friends. And so as we look with this and you look at these summaries, you may be asking yourself, now what, Paul? What does all of this mean? Why are these stories important? What does, you know, what does it mean that it's okay to struggle with your faith? What does it mean to repent? Why do I have to repent? How do I repent? What does it mean that your mistakes don't define you? What does it mean that God loves you so much he wants to be in a covenant relationship with you? What does it mean he would take on the punishment that we deserve, the thing, the consequences, all the things that we should be taking on? He's willing to step in and take those for us. 
What does it mean that Jesus had to fight through that flesh? And what does it mean that he came down from... So often we think about Jesus' only sacrifice being he gave his life for our sins. But so often we forget he came down from heaven to be here with us. That is the sacrifice sometimes. You know, as I think about my relationship and my story and, and you know, giving up my life for others at times, I don't think would have been the sacrifice. The sacrificial play at those times would be for me to stand and be with the people that are here with me today. And so, um, so knowing that sacrifice isn't always just giving yourself up to death. It, it was actually Jesus coming down from heaven to be with us. So today, I know I've told you many stories and that I was inspired to talk about those stories from different resources and different things. And so today's, today's much different. Today, I'm going to tell you why these stories are important to me and what they mean to me. And so we're gonna start back with week one, and what did we learn about? We learned about the story of Jacob. In week one, we learned to embrace the struggle. But not just to struggle and feel down about it, right? You can say, oh, I don't understand this. I'm never going to get this. But what you have to do is you have to be an active participant. That's why wrestling is such a good term for it. Because if you're an active participant in the wrestling with God and in the word and in your faith and who you are, that means you can grow and you can learn. So be an active participant. Ask questions. Don't be afraid. Asking those questions doesn't mean you don't have faith. Asking those questions helps build your faith. So, I'm going to look at a section in Psalms here, Psalm 13, and you get to hear a master at someone who wrestles. And this is a psalm from David. How long, Lord, will you forget, forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies my enemy triumph over me. Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes. I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You see there, this is how you wrestle. You still give reverence to our creator, to our God, but you can still ask these questions. David is just, he's the best of probably the humans that have come to earth outside of Jesus. He's, a, he's described as the man after God's own heart, but we see he's also a very good example of how power can corrupt even the best of us. But you look at that and you see how he wrestles and you see that faith. Those questions don't make you ask about David's faith. It's just he trusts in God and that's why he's going to ask those questions. He's not shying away from it. He's embracing it. He's an active participant in it. Now, one thing 
is he doesn't have a written out scripture that he can sit down with and just read, right? At that time, he's still having to hear these stories and things through oral tradition. And so he can't just sit down and open a scroll and read it and, and take it in and, and learn more about it. He has to ask God these questions, and his faith is built by that. Should you pray and ask questions? Yes, most definitely. But we also have to dig into our Bible because there are things in there. They rate video games today by replayability. So if you play a game and you can only play it one time through and then you're done with it, is that worth like $100 to you? But if you've got a game that you can play it over and over, there's different corridors, there's different things to find, there's different players that you can play with, you can do it online, you can do it alone, you can do all of these things, and so video games are great because they have replayability. Well, your Bible has rereadability. It's built for you to read for a lifetime, not just one time. You're not going to find everything you need in a single reading of your Bible. That's not what it was designed for. So to get that closer relationship with God and to understand God, we have to dig into our Bible. It's okay. Sometimes we're going to struggle. And, and as we go through that, we can just find these things that can help us get through it just like it did with Jesus in the garden. Now, I don't want to say that the Old Testament is more important than the New Testament, but I don't want to say the New Testament is more important than the Old Testament. When Jesus is speaking about the Scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. And this is what he says about the Old Testament and about himself. He says this in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others according will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever... Whoever uh, practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus says this. He's here to fulfill the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Do we understand what that means? Do we, do we get that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law... I don't think at all times they were doing it purposeful. Maybe sometime they were. But they were misinterpreting and, and not getting the full story out to the people of God at that time, right? The Hebrew people at that time, they weren't, be, weren't being given the full picture, the full story, as much as they dug into it. And Jesus came to show them this is how you live this law. This is how you do these things. So when we read the Old Testament and we see, boy, that seems so different than the New Testament, that's because it feels different, but Jesus tells it 
us, it's not different. It is the same. And he is here to show us how it's supposed to be lived out. So it's hard to read this Bible. Getting that information is so very difficult out of it. I know I used to think, oh, we're so lucky, and we are. We've got this thing at our fingertips, but we've got it with these super thin pages. I hate these pages. It's got nice little notes in them. It's got study notes. Actually, this is the uh, Women of Faith Bible because I can't even find my Bible anymore. I had to get Sarah's. My Bible's in here now. And I want to share with you some of these resources. But the first thing I want to do is I want to show you what a real scroll looks like, if you could put that picture up. That is a scroll. And believe it or not, that's like the very technical kind of um, technology that they had of the day to be able to write that down so people could read it. And it's amazing. But before that, they had to talk about these stories. They had to listen to them. But look at that. There's no page breaks. There's no numbers. There's no verses. And it made it so those authors could make these very, very cool patterns and things in there that you could pick up because it was written that way. Today, it becomes much harder because we do a lot of these nice things, right? We put nice page headers in. We put these verses together. We put notes in here. It makes it so it is easier for us to read, but it doesn't get the same punch, the same feel that you had when you read it when it was written like this, the way they had intended it to be written. So context matters. The way it's it's put together, the, the, the literary tools that they use, they get lost. Not to mention just language, not to mention culture and time. All of those things makes this book very difficult to read. And I don't want that to discourage you from reading it because there's powerful stories in there. So what I want to do is show you, and I know I've been talking about resources forever, right? I've been sharing these resources for you, but I can't tell you how important they were for me. And so kind of the first thing was these Bible apps, version, Bible Gateway, Blue Letter Bible. These apps put at your fingertips right here, I can have all of those there, and I can have almost any translation or version of the Bible that I need or want to study from. I can even pick that up and just listen to it, right? If you use version, there's an audio track for most of those that have been translated for us to listen to. So there's just great tools at our fingertips to be able to look at this. And Blue Letter Bible, it's great because they block it up. It's still easy to read. They keep verses and things, but they block it up kind of the way the scrolls do so you can line things up and try to find patterns and things that are very interesting to help us understand. And then um, I love Bible Gateway just because it's, it's the first one I used. It's the one that was online and I could get to with a web browser. And again, there's just multiple versions that are there. It's a great place to start getting these stories etched into who you are. 
But tell me this, what's easier, because I'm not a great reader. I would have been much better off with an oral tradition. And so for me, watching a video would be much better. I would, I would be able to look at things like the Bible Project. We could go to the next slide, please. The Bible Project has so many different things at our fingertips, all of these resources. The first and the easiest resource is just using them on YouTube to do very short, like cliff note versions of every book in the Bible. And you can go through, and he's going to give you things that you never even thought about before. So even though these are like eight to 10 minute videos, you're going to get something out of that. But then let's say you want to go deeper. Well, they also have a podcast where they get into very, very deep looks at the Bible. And so just last year, they did a whole year of going through the Torah, the first five books of, Gen uh, of the Bible. So they went through Genesis, um, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and uh, uh, Numbers. That's it. <laughs> so... So they, they go through all of these, and they are able to find these great little things and show you these things, and then you can go study it yourself, and so very in-depth. And then they also have an app, a companion app. If you start using that app, it'll take you to videos, to podcasts, to even scripture readings, and give you a way to get into the text like you've never done it before. So... The Bible Project is great. Oh, I forgot. They have online live. They're live. People are there together in like classroom settings as well. So you have basically everything you could ever want to do to study just with the Bible Project. Love Bible Project. Now, let's talk about Bema. Bema got me started down this path. Seeing Marty Solomon speak here in this place showed me kind of what it meant for somebody to look at the, the relationship between Christianity and, and Hebrew, it seems so separate. We tried to keep it apart, but it's not. It's the, same, it's the same God. It's the same things. And so Marty was able to bring this world together and make you see how important things were that we were missing, that we weren't looking at. And so I love the Baymont Discipleship Podcast because I listen to it, especially if you start at the beginning. They go through the entire Bible. They go through Torah. They go through the prophets. They go through the wisdom literature. They go through all of that in the New Testament. And then in some of them, they even do a verse-by-verse -verse look at those. And just recently, they had done a verse-by-verse -verse of the book of John. It was just amazing. I loved it. They even did uh, revelations. People are so scared of revelations and what it means, and they can bring it into context and make it make so much more sense. And so just looking at these, oh, and the encouragement to get into small groups because this text was not made for you to just read by yourself and not share and talk about it and wrestle with it with people and friends because the more you look at it by yourself, the more you talk about it, the more you get it, the more it becomes a part of you as well. So it's very important. But the other cool thing is, is Marty turned me on to Rabbi Foreman and LF Beta and actually learning from a rabbi. 
It was amazing teaching. It's very in-depth. You can get very, very in-depth with Rabbi Foreman. And then uh, Ray Vanderlaan, who Marty would say is his quote-unquote rabbi. And he has this great video series that, that talks about the context of not just the words themselves, but where they're at. They're in a desert. What's the culture like? What's the temperature like? What does it mean when you say green pastures in Indiana? And what does it mean when you say green pastures and you're in a desert? It's completely different. So I used a lot of those materials for my stories and sermons on Jacob and on Judah. And I used Tim Mackey very heavily for Jesus and Abraham. So wrestling with this text, getting it in you, embracing that struggle and not just saying, woe is me, but doing something about it. That's the first step. The second step of now what is let the Holy Spirit transform you and repent. This, if you do step one, you don't really have to do step two. You let the Holy Spirit do step two, and you get out of the Holy Spirit's way. My example in Sermon 2 was Judah. I think he was an amazing example. But I would tell you, we have an advantage in our repentance because we were given that, that gift of the Spirit. And we also had this book we have these tools in our hands. We have things that can take us down another path that Judah never had. So, step two is very, very simple. Just get out of the Holy Spirit's way. You work hard on step one. Now, what does this look like? What do, what do you think it is? Well, the Apostle Paul tries to explain this in Romans 7. We'll look at verses 14 through 20, and bear with me. I know I'm a bad reader as it is, but this is a little hard to read. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am, not, I am unspiritual, so as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does. So obviously, this just sounds crazy. Our old pastor Sam would say, this is the who's on first part of Scripture, Paul is basically saying the flesh makes us weak. And we go back to that example of Jesus where his flesh was weak, but he fought through it. Our flesh is weak. So what do we do? How do we fix this? What do we, you know, it's like that seems like I, I can't do good. It's not going to happen. 
but we look at Romans 8, 1 through 4. It says, therefore, is, is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So this is just saying, get out of the way. Don't let your flesh get in the way of the Holy Spirit. We are free. The Holy Spirit has set us free from sin and death. So if you do the hard work of part one, part two will take care of itself. Just get out of the way. So what about step three? Step three, if you do step two, is going to be God is going to start to want to partner with you. He's going to want to do things with you. He's going to ask you to do things, and you're going to be changing. And at times, you didn't want to hear what God had to say and what God wanted you to do, but the Holy Spirit's going to change that in you. It's going to make you want to start doing these things, and it's going to make you scared and not know what to do, how to do it. You start with something simple, right? Let's just keep the Ten Commandments. Oh, is that as simple as you think? How many idols are in our daily lives? Money, entertainment, family? These things aren't all bad, but we still put them in front of God. How about the Sabbath? How you doing on your Sabbath? How many days do you just take to spend with God and do no work? That's one of the Ten Commandments. And by the way, commandment isn't what you think it is, but you have to study that yourself. God made a Sabbath because the Israelites were slaves. And they needed to know that their value was more than what they produced. You are more than what you produce. God has made us good. You were good. I'm going to read to you a story that hits home with me. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. Jesus started on his way. A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. I ran those together. Sorry. <laughs> Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That just hits home right there. This 
person is looking for something more, something deeper. There's something that's missing. He's, he's done all of these things. What else can I do? I'm struggling. I thought I w- if I just did these things, everything would be great. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lacked, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man fell. Man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Notice that it says present age doesn't say in the future. It doesn't say when we go to heaven. It's the present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last in the last first. God wasn't talking to this rich young man saying, you're never going to get into heaven. What he's saying is, You're not feeling the heaven now because you're letting things get in the way between my father, God, and you. And that thing is his wealth. Jesus isn't saying sell it all so that you can come be with me just so when you die, you'll go to heaven. He's saying if you want to live abundant, heaven-like life right now, this is what you should do. And that's hard. That's why this hits me so hard is because I felt like God at times has told me that I should find another job that I know isn't going to pay as well, but how am I going to put my children through college, and how am I going to pay for this bill, and how am I going to do this, how am I going to, it's like all of that stuff just comes to you, and it gets in the way. He's not here to condemn us. He was trying to show this young man how to follow and to be actually free. God was willing to take on certain things for us, to do certain things for us. He gave up, Jesus gave up life in heaven to come down to be with us. I'm gonna go on to step four because it fits right in with this. It is fight the flesh. Don't let fear and anxiety get in the way of doing what God wants you to do. I can tell you this, if God told me to sell everything I owned, I'd be scared to death and I wouldn't do it. 
I want to do it. I go back to what Paul says. I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. So Jesus here is telling us, we look at him in the garden, and he is struggling, and his, he's fighting that fleshly urge to not want to follow God. God hasn't asked me to take on the amount of pain that Jesus had taken on, but he's asked Jesus to take that on, and Jesus didn't want to do that. He wanted that cup taken from him. He knows what it feels like to be me and say no, but he didn't say no. He said yes. That is why I follow Jesus. So Jesus in that garden, if you could put the picture of Jesus in the garden up, falling down, praying, sweating blood, but still doing what God asked him to do. I was asked to do something here recently. God asked me to write a five-part sermon series. And this was not something I was looking for. As I mentioned back in Sermon 1, I have had suicidal thoughts my entire life. And about three years ago, I was having a very, very hard time. I remember being at sleep at night and just feeling this dark presence with me all the time. I had so much pain. I had neck pain, pain shooting in my arms, my knee, my hip, migraine headaches that seemed to come at the worst time and other kinds of headaches too. This is what is the point of all of this if I'm just going to be here in constant pain and suffering? And I remember talking to my counselor about this and him telling me, this is a spiritual battle. I want you to take some text and memorize it and to repeat it back, just like Jesus did when he was tempted. And that is fantastic advice. It didn't help me because I can't memorize stuff. I tried to memorize the scripture about the armor of God, and basically the only thing I remember, and that's just fine, is that the word of God is the sword. That is why I need this in me is because I need a weapon to beat back Satan in my life. So, that didn't help all that much. Helped a little bit. But I was struggling so bad. I was waking up. I totally got scared because I would wake up and my first thoughts were negative, terrible thoughts. And so, we actually went with Gwen to a church camp, and I remember them talking about praying. When you're being attacked, pray for your friends and family, and Satan will leave you alone <clears throat> because he doesn't want you to pray for them. And so that's what I would do. I would pray for my family. I'd pray for my friends. I'd pray for this church, and it helped a little. 
But when I started taking in the scripture and learning these stories, learning stories about Judah and Jacob and Abraham and about how Jesus loved us so much and these stories in the Old Testament, it just showed me God in a completely different light. It showed me things that, that I had heard but didn't understand. And so as I'm waking up with these negative thoughts, there was one night I decided this is enough. And I remember praying to God saying, I am not Satan's. I belong to Jesus. He is my savior. I belong to him. And the power of his name is so much greater than you. You are not welcome here. You don't belong here. And when I said that, I got this weird feeling. And Don Finto was here and as I went back and I listened to Don Finto, he's actually the first person standing up here who talked about the Christianity and Hebrew relationship that happens in this book. I should say this library of books. They're all different books. He told us that you kind of feel this knot in your stomach. It's like butterflies. It's like my blood pressure is raising a little bit. But at the same time, with those nerves and stuff, it felt fantastic. It feels like you're about to go. I, I was a baseball player. When you're going up to bat in a critical situation and you're nervous about what's going to happen, you get this feeling and it gets addictive and you love it. I love that feeling. And as I had that feeling, this peace came over me and I was given a five-part sermon series. Now, these weren't stories that I didn't know. These are stories that I knew, but they were laid out in a way that I had never thought of laying them out before. And then there was this part five that I had no idea what that even means or what it was gonna be or what, what it looks like. And that's the one I'm doing today, by the way. And so I've obviously figured something out. But during that, God gave me these these words to share. And I am by no means trying to place myself up with Jesus, but this is my fight through the flesh moment, right here, right now in front of you. I would tell people these stories, hoping they would say, those are nice stories. Don't, don't say anything to anybody, it's all right. Thank you for sharing. But everybody I talked to said, I needed to share this story with others. And so, I'm here today, sharing the story with you, and as I said, I'm fighting through my flesh right now. But this isn't the end. This isn't the final step. There is a step five. And this picture up here right now, this is step five, if you can go to that. I know this is hard to see. This is our world today. There's a lot of people up there that are causing havoc, stress. They're tearing us apart. There's people up there full of light and life and bring joy. How do we work through this today with knowing what Jesus did for us? How do we come to terms with this? 
How do we look at this and how do we do things like love our neighbor, pray for our enemies? How do we come together in unity? As I was telling you about, about this uh, title and from The Godfather, that, that line, it's not personal, it's just business. By the way, it's, it's just strictly business. Nobody ever says that. That's what we do in America as we take out little things, but it's strictly business. And what does that mean? That means I'm going to do something that helps me, and I'm not doing it to you because I am mad at you. I'm doing it to you because you're getting in my way of me making things better for myself. That's what that means. And this is a story that is personal for everybody who's going through this journey, and we have to figure things out. And there's a lot of folks on this picture that are trying to build their own name. They're more worried about themselves. They would make business decisions and don't care how it hurts the other people. Now, there are things that are very hard to to work through, and I don't want to say that, you know, people who have to work in the government, that there aren't hard decisions to make and things to do and consequences. There are. And I'm still going through this journey. I think all of us are. There's only one that I would say would handle it perfectly, and that would be Jesus. But we get to handle this and do this together. We get to be the ones that stand up for the people who can't stand up for themselves. We are the people here to feed the people that can't be fed. We're here to help the people with mental illnesses and with anxiety and stress and all of the things that go with it that are in a world that places production above the person. That is what we're here to do. We're here to bring order to this chaos. I'm going to read to you Genesis 1, 1 through 5. This is like the, the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And he called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. He separated the light from the dark. He created order out of chaos. That is what we are here to do. That's what Jesus was doing. That's what I want to do at this church. That's why we don't have to do it alone. We are the body of Jesus. We get to do it together We get to go on this journey together. Chaos is violence, fear, anxiety, hate, self-centeredness. And order is love, grace, peace, forgiveness, selflessness. That's what I want to be a part of. And that is what God asked me to tell all of you as well. So I'd ask the band if you could please come on up. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know there's lots of things to do. There's a journey that we're on, and we know that you can guide us, and we just ask that you help us 
understand you better, understand the things that you have planned out for us. Help us just dig in and be a part of your master plan, Lord. We just ask these things. We ask you to give it to us in a way that we can understand, in a way we can help. And we just ask that you help us fight to do your will, not our will, Lord. Because we know ultimately that gets us closer to you, Lord. And we thank you for this opportunity, this life, this amazing gift of life. We thank you, Lord, for that. Just help us see that gift and be connected with you, Lord. And I pray these things in your son's name, amen. Good morning, Livingstones. My name is Melissa Lathian, for those of you who don't know me. Paul had asked me a while back, or requested through the app to uh, do the communion message for today. And I really wasn't sure what I wanted to share with all of you, um, but something came to mind. It's something that I wrote actually three years ago. It was right before Easter, and it seems to definitely resonate with me and what Paul's been preaching about for the past several weeks on spiritual transformation. So I'd like to share that. This is what I wrote. As Easter approaches, I, I tend to become more reflective upon the sacrifice that God made for us. God sent his son, Jesus, as a newborn to earth. Jesus was crucified on the cross as an act of love for all of us. I definitely don't want to ever minimize Jesus' death on the cross, for that truly was the ultimate sacrifice. The reason that Easter has a deeper meaning for me is not just because I am a Christian, but because of my role as a birth mother. I can only begin to imagine how God felt when Jesus was born, knowing that one day his son would die to save us all. At that time, 21 years ago, it's now been 24, I found myself pregnant and unwed, and I was lost and afraid, and I had been running for God, from God for quite some time. I struggled with wanting to parent my son, but also was aware that that would mean I would be doing it by myself. When I finally realized that placing my son for adoption was the best decision, I also felt deep pain and sorrow. I was overcome with guilt and shame for not being able to be the mother that he deserved and needed. In the months, days, and hours leading up to the birth of my son, I knew in my heart that he was not meant to be parented by me. There's a scripture that's um, been with me in my life ever since I was a teenager. That was, um, someone had used uh, a quote, and it's from Luke 12, 48. And it says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I had to make a physical sacrifice for my son's own well-being regardless of my selfish wants and desires. And I'd always wanted to become a mother, but it was not the right time for me to do so. God had a plan all along for my son, and that plan included me loving him enough to know that I had to give him to a couple who had been struggling with infertility for several years and who had always desired to be parents. My son was a gift from God, brought to the earth as a newborn to be loved by many. 
My heart broke into a million pieces the day that I placed my son into the arms of his new parents. And I left the hospital that day feeling empty and all alone. But as I've shared before about God, he never left me even during my darkest moments. I eventually began to live again and survive. I started to allow God to use me for his will. Through all of this, I am able to say that God loved me enough to send his son to die on a cross for my sins, and I'm saved by God's grace and mercy. His love fulfills me, and I'm not alone. I hope and pray that each and every one of you will also come to know God as I have and feel his unending love for you. Where there is great love, there is also great sacrifice. And John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. As I've shared my story before with you in the past, and as many of you know, my son and I reunited in May of 2020, and this was actually about six weeks after I wrote this. I had no idea that that was going to happen, and I can't help but think that God saw me in that moment that I was writing this and decided to have mercy on me because I had transformed myself and been spiritually transformed through him. So here at Living Stones, we practice an open communion, and everyone is invited to the tables. There are three tables up front here with a gluten-free option. It's not only a time for remembrance, but also for celebration. And after I pray, please come partake in communion with each other. Would you bow your heads? Dear God, I humbly come before you today as a sinner who has been forgiven by you. Thank you for your unconditional love and sacrifice for all of us. Please help us to become spiritually transformed through you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.